How good is it to be in the greatest place ever? The church. House of God is the greatest place. You may be seated. You know, if you're married to someone, you can turn and give them a bash. But if you're not married to them, just hold up. Just wait your turn, you know. But uh, hey, it's so awesome to be here. Um, I, yeah, as Ward was saying, I remember I did night school. I was, um, I was playing for the Waratahs. Who knows the Waratahs, the rugby union? I was playing for them in 1997 and uh, I had a knee injury in my second game and uh, uh, had my cruciate ligament smashed and I decided to, to go to church. I decided to get back to church and uh, so I decided I wanted to go full on into church. I didn't want to be just come on Sundays. I needed to get immersed into church. So I went to night school and that's where I met Ward and I thought, hey, this guy's pretty cool. He doesn't wear a cardigan. He hasn't got like spit gel in his hair he looks actually quite cool and uh and actually it was his class and his passion for the gospel passion for jesus christ that actually inspired me to do full-time bible college the next year so yeah give him a hand yeah it was him it really was and uh and it worked out so well that i met my wife at bible college she kept on just looking at my notes and copying me all the time and uh and it was awesome but um yeah, we decided to move up. I got some photos of my kids I've put up here because I'm, I'm actually going to preach a message about God the Father because I think in these sort of times we sort of forget what God's really like. Yeah, up in Cairns we've had a really hard time. If you know in the news we had a, a mum that killed eight of a, seven of her kids and, and uh, one of her nieces. And uh, in our church a lot of our youth were uh, friends with these children. And it really put an oppressive sort of um, vibe in the whole city. It was really downbeat. But you know what? I always think that my greatest weapon is praise. And even when bad things happen, I've got to praise my way through. And, uh, and so um, I've, I felt like that the... Well, I was on my holidays. And I haven't even preached this message before. I wrote it when I was down at Mission Beach on holidays. And I just felt like that people sometimes forget the roles of God. They forget it. You know, they know that God's a provider. They know He's a healer. They know He's a forgiver. But I think the greatest comfort that we have is that God is our Father. And I think we forget that. And I got some photos. Have I got some photos up there? Not yet. Um, oh, yeah. Yep. So there's, these are the only photos they had in my phone. So, and I couldn't find one of my wife. That's so bad. In my phone. So she's going to kill me. See, I've got five children there. You know, the little one in the middle. I got two boys. And two girls. The oldest boy is Jonah. He's, uh, he's 10. Uh, and his nickname's Bone Crusher on the, on the football field. We call him Bone Crusher. Samson's Batman boy. And he's, uh, his nickname on the footy field is Klingon because he just, he just holds on. He's just like Michael Hooper in Rugby Union. And uh, my little girl on, the far, on your left is Josie. And she's my favorite. Can you have favorites? Can you, are you allowed to have favorites? Jesus had favorites. You know, and she, she's my friend. She's just so nice. She just walks with you. She's like a little, you know, little pet. She's beautiful. And then I've got this Phoebe girl. In the, she is just hilarious. She's loud. She she's bo- bosses the boys around. And I'm not sure what she calls her baby, but there she is. And I've got some other photos of up there a little bit closer. But, um, yeah, yeah, they're, they're my girls. I always take them for breakfast on Saturday mornings. Uh, and, and my kids, I take them out. Anna goes to the gym, and I take my boys and girls, and we go to have breakfast somewhere. And I just really, he's not very happy, Jonah, then, get the photo taken. That's Phoebe on the red carpet at church. Um, 
So, and we went fishing down at Mission Beach. So there's some photos of my kids I just want to show off because I want to talk about being a father. And it's such an awesome privilege uh, to be a dad. But, uh, you know, we started the church here in 2010. I've, I got, uh, went up to Cairns to start a landscaping business, but really felt like God was calling me to plant a church. He sort of pioneered me to lands- do this landscaping business, but in the end, He was pioneering me to plant a church. And uh, I remember when we left, uh, Pat Ancliffe, who knows Pat Ancliffe here, and, and Jake Betlam, and Mark Saundercock, and Greg French, they all said to me, Brenda, you know, there's no C3 church there, up there. And I said, well, you know, don't look at me, I'm just a male model. You know, I, what am I, I could do, you know, I find it hard to speak, and all that thing. And uh, they said, you know, you should start a church. I said, oh my God, models don't do churches, mate, you know. And, uh, and anyhow, so... God just planted something on my heart. And I remember at Bible college that I never really knew what I wanted to do, but I knew that I wanted to do something great for God. Just want to do something great for God. I did missions trips. I did youth and I did with, with Greg French and uh, um, the real men's. But there was something else there that, that God was pulling me to. And uh, when, when I started the church, it was like we didn't start with a team. We didn't start as a satellite. We didn't start as a campus. We didn't start as anything. It was just like, oh, I'm going to start a church. And so me and my wife just sat on the back porch, and I was just preaching to her all the time. She hated it. She hated it, you know. And we had two kids at the time. <coughs> and, um, and just slowly the church has grown. Uh, we went into a, a hired, um, we actually got a place that we, they gave it to us for free, uh, the Moriah Function Center, because... I never knew how to run a church. I've never been employed by uh, the church. I didn't know anything about it. I didn't know how to do run sheets or anything. And then we got given this church, this building. I said, well, we'll just give it a shot. I'll just preach Jesus and we'll have a few band people come and see if we can get uh, some music happening. And it was amazing. The day that we were about to launch our church, we had uh, a young couple from C3 Darwin. Has anyone been to C3 Darwin Church? It's a beautiful church. It's It's pretty cool up there. It's pretty cool. But um, Jana and Mark Chikatosko, Jana Mercedes did Bible College in 2003, and she's written a couple of albums out. And so she came and just moved to Cairns the day we were sort of planning the church. And it just like opened the door, and we've got the, one of the, I mean, you guys have got Silver Chair here, the three piece band here, just unbelievable. Andrew, you just smashed it, it was awesome. But, you know, you know, and we've got Jenna, and she's got a couple of albums out. And we're just so blessed that we sort of started fairly established in some sort of ways in our music area. Everything else was raw. But I always had the belief that when you plan a church, it's got to be established some ways. You know, because the Garden of Eden was established. There was no seedlings. There were mature trees. So I wanted to have a picture of that. Everything was quite nice and, and, and started. But we started it, and um, we've grown the church now. We've got about 240 members now. And uh, it's powering along and things are going great. We're going to initiate a few things into the church like um, C3 Care. Do they, I think they do it at Silverwater. I think I saw a photo of you on Facebook. Yeah, yeah I think you had your shirt off when you were preaching. Is that, is that common? Is that common at Silverwater? Just muscly. Yeah, yeah, once a month. And uh, um, that, uh, yeah, so there's a few things that are happening. And if you're ever in town in Cairns, just come up. It's beautiful. Love to have you. Come see the reef. We'll show you how to jump on crocodiles. We'll show you everything like that. It's just beautiful. But uh, I want to talk to you about God the Father. And I think most dads think we're pretty good dads. 
but I all think I really think that we think we can be better dads you know I always get down and play dolls with my girls and I and I rumble my boys I always pick fights with my boys I say six o'clock Jonah's room it's on be there and I go there and I fight them and rumble them and they can't win all the time because life's not all about winning sometimes so I got to pin them down and uh and I take them fishing and I fish them off uh, like off a wharf and who knows that is boring so I think I'm a pretty good dad just hanging off a wharf fishing it's all right at about 6 30 night because the crocs come in and it looks oh it's pretty spectacular and it's good but um but sometimes we think we're a pretty good dad but you know what we've got a far greater dad in heaven our spiritual father in heaven is so much greater it's so much better it's so much awesome and um and and i really want to talk about that god's role as a father in isaiah 64 verse 8 it says oh lord and i love the O in this most time people come to to god and they have the O of complaint oh god this is hard oh i'm falling out this is terrible but we're going to come to god with the oh god i need you god i love you god oh lord of praise and he says oh lord you are our father we are the clay and you're the potter. We are formed by your hand. And in Matthew 6, 9, it says the Lord prayer, our Father in heaven. And the word there, Father, is, is translated into Abba, Papa, or Daddy. And I always love it when the first time you have kids and your kids say, Dad. It's always the first word it comes out of the kid's mouth. It's sort of like there's this innate, innate thing in, in kids that the, the need to search for a dad regardless of language regardless of culture the first word is either abba father papa and it comes out of the mouth and it's just like he's in eight now we've got to search for god we've got to find him and um and we've got to know that our god is great our god is awesome he is great he is awesome i'm going to talk about sort of three things here that our god is great our god is patient our god is forgiving and our god is proud and it's all wrapped up in the fact that our God is our greatest dad we could ever have. And I never lose the memory of all my four kids when they said dad. When the first time you hear the word dad, your heart melts. Even at the age of 10, when my dad, when my boy Jonah or the kids call me dad, there's something in there that still makes your heart melt. And it's the same for a mum. When the, when the child yells out mama, your heart's melt. There's something in there. That's the intimate level of God. He calls out. There's that intimate level for Him. And that's what He wants you to have with God. He wants to have that intimate level with Him. You know, I've, I train my kids. Actually, I, I sort of force them to, to, you know, I say, who's the greatest? Who's the greatest of them all? And they're thinking, I said, you know, you've got to say, Dad. And I said, who's the greatest of all? And so after a while, after bending their arms and, you know, eye gouging them and rubbing their ears, because I want them to have ears like, like me. And, uh, and so, Dad, Dad's the greatest of all. I said, yeah, that's right. That's right. And it, I, I know it sounds weird, but, you know, as dads, we've got to take all the credit we can get. And if it's forced, you know, I'll take it. It's like, it's like we've got a shameful promotion, I know, but we've got to take it. Until, you, until my wife gets in and starts... I put them down. So who's the greatest of them all? And they say, Mom. So where'd you get that from? She wrecks it. You know, I said, no, no, no. Dad's the greatest of it all. And I remember I was talking to Samson. He was about seven at the time, about a year ago. And you always ask the question, what do you want to do when you grow up? And he says, oh, I, want, 
I want to do what you do, Dad. And I said, oh, that's awesome. You want to be a male model? You know, I want to do swimsuit or you want to do formal wear? What do you want to do? Which one? And he goes, no, no, I don't want to do that. I said, oh, what, do you want to be a pastor? He said, no, no, I don't want to be a pastor. I'm thinking, oh, do you want to be a landscaper? He goes, no, 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 I want to be a great dad. And right then I thought, oh, man, let's go to the shop. Let's buy Minecraft. Let's, let's, let's buy you a car now. Do you want a Harley? Do you want a Harley? You know, I could do it. You know, put training wheels on the Harley or whatever. But right at that moment, you feel like, oh, that's good. But, you know, I hope he's still saying the same thing when he turns 18. And think when he turns the same thing when he's 30, because I feel like that I'll be doing my job right. And you've got to be proud of him. And uh, God is the greatest father. Whether he's a great dad, your earthly dad is a great dad, or is he he's disengaged, or is he distant dad? Let me tell you, your heavenly father is a great dad. He is so good, and he's close. He's not far. The thing that we have a lot in religion, and I've got this thing about religion, is religion is about conforming to the outward appearance. Religion, like you go to the, the airport and you see a bald guy with a little bit of hair dressed in orange and hitting the bongos, he's a Hare Krishna. That's an outward sign. You see ladies dressed in beehive outfits. And you know, you know, there's an outward sign of their religion. But the true Christianity that I love, you, you cannot tell because God changes from the inside. There's an inside. So there's a problem that I have with sort of Religion, because it's more of an outward conformity with true Christianity, it's an inward transformation of your heart. And God's always in control of your outcome, but you're in control of your obedience. So He always does things in your life that, oh, just, it hurts, but you, you do it. But to illustrate God, there's a very familiar story in the prodigal son in Luke chapter 15. If you've got your Bibles, turn to there. But I always think that this story, the, the title's not 100% correct, because in the story, some translations say the prodigal son, some say the lost son. But there's actually two sons in the story. And there's also a father. And the father actually comes across on the softer side of things. And in the story, the dad, the dad here represents our heavenly father and his actions and responses that describes the kind of father that he is to us. In Luke 15, 11, it talks about how the younger son basically said, I want my, my, my inheritance. I want all, I want my money, Dad. I want to basically get out of here. I don't want to live under these house rules anymore. I think I can do a better job. I'm going to go. So the son goes. The dad gives him his money and the son goes. And, uh, and, but as he goes, in a short time, the son loses it all. Loses it everything. And to make matters worse, there's famine in the land and the younger son is, starts feeding pigs and he's in, a, in an area where it's just hard living. Who's been in a spot where it's just hard living? It's difficult times. You feel like you're a slave to debt. You feel like you're under oppression. You haven't got a job. You feel, we've all been in times like that. And the Bible says that he came to his senses. I think that's the greatest thing. He reasoned in, he said, he says, you know what? I'm probably not worthy to be a son, but I'm probably going to go back to be a servant. So... I'm smart enough to get the idea that I'm probably better off to go back. And so he starts to go back. But what I love here is that the dad sees him, runs and meets him and kisses him and embraces him. Let's see how the father reacts. In, if you have a look in Luke 15, verse 20, it says, So he returned home to his father. And while he was still a long way off, he saw him, with, uh, saw him coming. Filled with love and compassion, he ran to his son and embraced him and kissed him. Beautiful picture. 
His son said to him, Father, I have sinned against, uh, I've sinned against both heaven and you. I'm no longer worthy to be called your son. The dad here basically says, shut up, or turns his back to him at this time and says, says servant, quick, bring the finest robe in the house put on, uh, and put it on him. Get him a ring for his finger and sandals for his feet. Kill the calf that we have been fatting. Like get the calf that we've been, been preparing because there's a day coming when my boy's coming back. I've been preparing this calf for when he's coming back. And he says, um, uh, we must celebrate with a feast for the son of mine was dead and now he's returned to life. He was lost and now he's found. So let the party begin. And I believe he got Keith Urban there to headline it. You know, just a big, who likes country and western? Anyone here? Yeah? No, there's a few. Yep, real people. And, uh, but most sons, most sons really look up to their dad. I've got my dad here. And as a kid, I always looked up to my dad. He's an awesome guy. But the older he gets and the older I get, I start to realize that he's just human. And the stuff, yeah. He's not. <laughs> but at schoolyards, I remember when I was at Skid, I used to go up to people and say, listen, mate, my dad would smash your dad in the face. He would just nail you, mate. Your dad's got nothing. My dad's so much stronger, so much tougher. And we, we always say that about our dads because we want to see our dads to be strong and invincible. Never did I say, oh, you know, my dad's got better hair product than you. My dad, you know, I love how he shaves his legs and he does all that. We never go to that sort of side of things because as a son, we want our dads to be strong and invincible. But you've got to know that most people know that God is powerful. If you didn't know, God is powerful. He's awesome. He created everything. He created you. He created me. He created everything. He is powerful. But the story in Luke shows a softer side, a softer side of God. It says a father that loves unconditionally, which I think is so strong. Unbelievable. A father who runs towards us even when we have turned our backs to him. He still comes towards us. That's what the story tells. And what I said at the start, the first point I want to make is God is patient. He's a patient God. He's there. You know, and it's difficult to, as, as parents to hear bad things about your kids, hear bad reports. It's hard to, to wait for your kids to come around. I'm sort of nodding to the teenage years of kids. Yeah, my, my oldest is 10. But I've known some families when the kids get into their teenage years, they can sort of rebel and run off and, and, and be hard. But, and it's hard for a parent to sort of wait for them to come around because I think we got this, we need to intervene. We need to step in. But God's the father that just waits, waits till he comes to his senses. And, and, it, and it's really, it's, it's powerful the fact that, that to wait. And God the father, he just waits and waits and waits for his son to come. And he probably heard bad reports about his son. He probably heard, oh yeah, you know, I've, I've seen your boy, he's down the pub and he's drinking himself stupid and he had his shirt off and he was dancing around a pole. I heard that through some mates and I was like, oh God. That's what my, my older brother used to do. And, uh, and all you hear at this point, you know, like I've, he's just gambling all his money away. Oh, the other time I saw him going to that brothel. And that's what happens in the story. 
and he sees this thing, and you hear these bad stories. And as a parent, you want to intervene. I reckon the dad probably thought, man, I've got to go down. I've got to rescue him. I've got to give him some money. He's in famine. He's, he's, I want to go down to intervene. But the dad in the story, our heavenly father, he waits. He waits. He waits. And it's hard to wait. I remember when I got a call from the primary school principal. Yeah, Brendan, can you come and have a chat with us? I want to talk about Jonah. Oh, it better be good, man. You know. So I go there and I hear the story. Yeah, Jonah's been bullying this late, this girl. I went, oh, man, it's worse. And, you, and your heart drops because you don't want to hear any bad reports about it. And I remember sitting through the meeting and it was a bit funny. And, and it, it came out at the end that the actual, the, the girl was the bully and she'd had a reputation of it. She was a, she was a tough girl, you know. And, uh, but I remember Jonah coming out feeling really defeated. And I remember saying to him, Jonah, regardless of what happened, I think you're the greatest. I think you're the greatest boy ever. You're beautiful. I love you. Above anything else, you're great. Just kind of lift your, the spirits back up, regardless of the bad report that you hear. You've got to sow something into him. See, the dad waited. And he's not waiting to punish you. That's the thing. He's waiting so that you can experience his forgiveness. He wants you to experience the fear. When you feel forgiven... It's not like a head knowledge, you feel it. It's the weight's been lifted off. You feel strong, you feel, you know, you feel lighter, sorry, that, that this person doesn't hate me anymore. The guilt, the shame that's on my life is just being taken away. And in, first, in 2 Peter 3, 9, it says, The Lord isn't really be, being slow about His promise, as some people think. No, He is patient for your sake. I love that. Not for His, He's patient for your sake. He doesn't want anyone to be destroyed, but he wants everyone to come to repentance. I love that. He wants everyone to be repentant. The father loved him enough not to intervene. He was patient. He probably wanted to, as I said. But I always love the picture of the father here. It's a very familiar story. But I love the picture of the father sitting, waiting, and watching. And he's thinking, is this the day my boy's coming home? He didn't go out to find him. He's at, is, is today the day? Is he coming back to God? Is he coming back to me? The deal is our God in Father is still waiting for you. He's still waiting for the people that are far from God in your life. You might have family members. You might have loved ones, work colleagues. And, the, and you look at their life and they're so far from God. But God's there waiting and watching waiting for them to come to this, waiting them to come back to God, waiting for them to come back. Maybe, maybe that's you here today. You can hear God calling you. You can hear the voice. And you never want to see people hit rock bottom. You never want to see them just absolutely get smashed up and hit rock bottom. But maybe that's what it takes for them to come to their senses. Maybe we just always intervene too quick. We've got, I've got a few guys at our church that are alcoholics and we're dealing with them, we're talking to them and, and, and part of it, you know, we've helped them so much, got them houses, got them, and helped them and they still go back to that way and it dawned on me when I was writing this, man, I'm just going to have to wait till they come to their senses. I tell, you've got to say to them, you know, from this day forward, alcohol's got no part in your life anymore and I know that but they don't know that or they can't get away with it but you've got to wait 
That's the hardest thing because we want to intervene. We want to help. We want to do this. We want to pay for them and do stuff like that. But it's hard sometimes. We just have to wait for God. And some people will say, well, that's not the Christian thing to do. This is what the Heavenly Father did on His Son. He waited. And I can say that would be, that's painful. But it's something that we're going to have to do. No one is too far from God. One of our core values in our church is, is um, our, uh, sorry, our goals in our church is, and our vision in our church is that we want to reach people that are far from God. And that means that we go into the dark and dingy places of cans. We go to people, places where people don't want to go. I'm not, I'm not afraid of it. I'm not worried about it. I want to have a church that, uh, like I think um, James Murray has. He says, it's strictly, um, uh, strictly inclusive. I love that. That's what we are. I didn't think of the name. I should have. You know? But that's what we've been doing for like the last four years is we want to go into the dark and dingy places and shine a light. We want to rip the veil off. We want to reveal God to people because God is awesome. God's not dead. So many people walk around that think God's in a wheelchair or he's on an asthma puffer or, you know, he's got a walking stick. Man, he's alive and he's powerful and he's there for you. He's awesome. And regardless of how far away you think you are from God, you're close. You're only one step away. You're only one decision away from getting your life back. We don't know what the inward turmoil is that's going on but it's close paul was the greatest example he was a he was a massive sinner he hated christians even was a part of the posse to kill stephen but but god gave him a second chance why because god's way is perfect our way is not perfect god's way is perfect and it says here in 1 tim 1 16 says but god had mercy on me so that christ jesus could be used as a prime example of his great patience with the worst sinners and the others will realize that they too can believe in him and receive eternal life let me tell you our god is a patient god next thing i want to tell you is that our god is forgiving god wants to give you something that you don't even deserve he wants to forgive you. Ephesians 1, 7 says, He is so rich in kindness and grace that He purchased our freedom with the blood of His Son and forgave our sins. He has showered us with kindness. I love the word showered. It's not sprinkled, it's showered. You turn it, I'm a landscaper slash mark model, as I've told you. But, but in the landscaping, we water everything in. Whenever the plants get put in, we water it, we shower them, we drown them in. He drowns us in. I love the word when he says, God's grace abounds to us. Have you ever seen those, those cheese rolls in Europe and they have a hill and they drop the cheese and the cheese comes and they've got to race after the cheese or something? Who's seen that? And you've seen the cheese that abounds? That's like God's grace. It just bounds like that cheese roll coming down the hill. It just bounds. It comes over. And then you see the people's body start bounding down. It's awesome. It's awesome. But um, he showered us with kindness along with all his wisdom and understandings. But as humans, we say that when people stuff up, you know, maybe they deserved it. We, we believe that forgiveness has some conditions on it. You know, even though this, this son turned his back on his father, trashed his name, we probably think maybe he deserves to stay in that pig pen for another week. Let, it, let, him, let him think about what he's done. That's how we seem to re- react. But, but God comes and says, no, 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 no. There's no conditions. 
I'm just going to forgive you. I'm going to forgive you, regardless of what it is. And, and, and what I love about the dad, he, he says, get the robe. Go get the robe. Put it on the boy. For me, that symbolizes the son, young son was dirty. He had shame, guilt all over his life. But his dad comes and says, no, no, let's wrap the robe over him. I want to see him clean. I'm going to cover his sin. I'm going to cover his shame. I'm going to cover his sickness. Whatever's in his heart that's tormenting him, I can't see it. He says that I blot out all the sins for his sake. He says, I don't want to look at your dirt. I don't want to look at your mess. I sent my son, Jesus Christ, to die on the cross for you. Your sin is forgiven. Your present, your future, your past, your present, and your future. It's all forgiven. That's how God, and our Father runs to us and closes us with this forgiveness rope. This closes and covers us. And it goes on. And so he can no longer see his shame. There's a story of a, a 17-year-old boy who um, constantly disrespected his mum, constantly bagged her out. And the dad said to him, mate, that's enough. You cannot disrespect your mum anymore. I don't want you doing it. If you do it again, I'm going to belt you with this belt, the belt. I'm going to belt you 10 times. And it's not going to be soft because I'm, I'm built like He-Man and I'm going to hit you as hard as I can with it 10 times. A week goes past, the boy gets up one day, didn't like the way his eggs was cooked and said, Dis- disrespected his mum. Disrespected her. Dad gets up. said, I warned you, come with me. And the boy's freaking out, going, yeah, I'm going to cop this now. And the dad freezes as he gets the boys in position to get his belt dangling in front of his head, just scaring, this is coming, mate. This is coming. Do you do that? I do that. Does any dads do that? that, Oh, you can't do that. Oh, sorry. But uh, but he's dangling the the belt in front of his head. It's like, this is what's coming. Then he freezes at the moment. He just thinks, he says, no, I'm going to change my mind. Here, boy, have the rope. I want you to hit me. I love you enough that I'm going to bear your punishment. The punishment must stand. I want you to hit me. And so the dad gets up, gets into position, and the boy gets the, the bell. He says, no, no, I can't do it. I can't hit you, dad. I can't hit you. And he said, yeah, you have to. The punishment must stand. And so the, dad, the boy gets the belt, hits his dad across the back, and he hits it like he's, like he's a three-year-old. Dad goes, no, that doesn't even count. I said, you've got to hit me, and you've got to hit me hard. Hit him hard. And so the dad clenches it, and he receives the punishment. He receives it. The deal is, that's what our God did for us. He took his son, bore all sin, sickness on the cross, all punishment, and bore it all for us. Everything, the cost, the shame, the sin, the stuff. And you know what? I cry out because I know that I always need forgiveness. I always need God's grace. And I bet you there's people here that are crying out, I need his forgiveness. I need his grace all the time. They're crying out. Because God doesn't really care if you stuffed up last year or last week or even last night. He wants you back. He wants you close to him, not far from him. So our God is a God that forgives You've got to understand the cost of his forgiveness. In Isaiah 43, it says, yes, I'll, yes, I alone will blot out all your sins for my sake and will, uh, uh, sorry, and will never think of them again. He's the God that forgives. And finally, might get the band up here if they are, get the silver chair back up. And uh, I just want to tell you that our God is a proud father. You know, I, I love watching my boys play football. 
play for the mighty Razorbacks. You've probably seen it on Fox Sports News, the highlight real under 10s. You've probably seen it, I know. But I remember I was the under 10s cap coach last year, but the year before, I was just the water boy. And I loved being the water boy. It was awesome. And I remember this game, Jonah ran through, uh, uh, ran through the team and scored a try in the corner. And because I'm the water boy, I'm the first out there. I was screaming, you little ripper. I'm so proud of you. That was the best try in the world. You better watch the highlight reel tonight on Fox Sport because that's going to be headlining it. And I just, I was over the top. And I looked at him and he started to cry on the footy field. I'm like, get the water quick. I said, double, I said, double, where's his water? On his head. And, but he was so overwhelmed with the, that his dad was so proud of him. His reaction was that he cried. And then he scored another try that same day. I ran on the field. And then the ref said to me, hey, 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 get off. You're too loud. I got busted for being too encouraging to my kid. I said, oh, man, that's harsh. But that's what our God in heaven's like. He's proud of you. He loves you. He thinks you're awesome. You know, when you feel the love of God in your life, regardless of the mistakes that you've done, His love overshadows everything. He covers it all. He's for you. He's, he, he is there for you. And you know the robe when he was running, they always say in the, um, uh, in the Old Testament, I mean the New Testament, where this time when the father was running out, they, they dressed in these long one-piece robes with one slit down the side. And they worked in them, but they never ran because it wasn't good to show a little bit of flesh. It wasn't good. And so, and so, I love the picture of the when he sees the sun. I just believe he starts, he starts charging at him. He's so proud of him. He runs and the flesh starts to hang. And like the world's going, oh God, the guy's showing a little bit of flesh. That's terrible. But he doesn't care about it. He just keeps running for his son just so he can embrace him. Just so he can love him. That's what our God in heaven, like, can I tell you, he's crazy for you. He's crazy for you. He loves you. And you don't even have to earn his favor. You don't even have to earn anything. It's a free gift. And sometimes we think we just got to earn everything. We've got to prove ourselves. But what I love about Christianity, what I love about Jesus is that He just says, I just want you to come to me. Just turn to me. And I just, with every head bowed and eyes closed, 